You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome back for episode 52 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here as always with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Guys, episode two of season two, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to start our division previews as we head into puck drop on the 2021-22 season. But before that... Went a little bit of Jays talk. Forty-four runs in two days over the last uh, last couple games with the uh, Baltimore Orioles. They are in a playoff spot right now. What say you when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, here's what I'll say. Um, <laughs> two to three weeks ago, when the Jays were playing the Tigers and the playoff picture was looking much more bleak, and they lost that game to Detroit at home because of that Marcus Semien error. I put out a tweet and it had six words in it. And those six words were, this is not a playoff team. <laughs> so, Are they a playoff team now? I am just, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying anything cause I don't want to jinx it, but I'm praying that I get the opportunity to add freezing mm-hmm. gold takes and do that to myself because I'll- that's looking like a real bad take. Alex, you know they took that tweet and they pinned it up on the board in the uh, clubhouse, just like the uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame was doing with uh, with tweets over the over the last yeah. Stanley Cup run. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be real awkward if I ever make it into the clubhouse as a reporter. It's like, hey, hey guys, so about that tweet? Uh, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we're uh, still no friends, for, right? No yeah. for other general manager, or not manage general managers, but managers to every MLB team. If you're in a last place team and you're talking smack to a potential Cy Young winner. Don't do that. Cause that's just going to piss the whole entire team off. And we saw what happened this whole entire weekend. When you poke the bear, especially with a high flying offensive team who where the basket get hot, just like that. And we saw that this whole weekend. Do not talk smack about the Jays. I'm just telling you that right now. Before we, before we de- like dig deep into the hockey stuff. I, I just want to say, first off, if you're Marcus Simeon right now, you have to find a way to sign back with this team. One, you're having a career mm-hmm. year, potentially setting a record for home runs in a season by a second baseman. Um, and already and did for the, for the Jays for, for MLB. Jays, I believe yes. it's 46. I believe it's 46. Ooh, closing so in on that. He's eight or seven off or yeah. Seven off now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not great at math. I'm an English guy. <laughs> um, but no, and then two, um, we've got a potential run for a triple crown here with, with Vladdy. And, and five off the lead for, for RBIs, this, this is going to come down to you know the last few games in the season. And if he can continue this tear that he's gone on over the last couple of games here, we could potentially be talking about one, the Cy Young winner in, in Robbie Ray, two, the MVP in Vladdy, but a, a triple crown winner, a historical moment possibly for, for Marcus Simeon. And this team could be a playoff team as Alex so kindly pointed out just a few weeks back. <laughs> but anyways, regardless, it's great to see. I, you know, I know I see, we, we see Alex's Jersey hanging there in the back. You see my uh, Vernon Jersey back here. Um, 
you know, obviously we're all, we're all Jays fans. We'd, we'd love to see them back in the playoffs. Um, but aside from that, um, I'm going to throw two over the, this past week, I'm going to throw two anniversaries out at you guys. Obviously neither one of them is really a highlight more, more just, uh, you know, to recognize what, what we've all kind of been through. Alex, you're, you're probably the youngest on the podcast, I would say, or, or, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't ask you as your age, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things we just don't discuss here, but, um, nine 11, 20 years ago. Um, and if you were watching the U S open, we had Mark masters on last week. He's obviously covering the U S open Layla Fernandez had an unbelievable moment when she lost in the, in the U S open final and where she just, you know, she talked about how she wishes and she hopes that she can be as, um, she she can come back and be as as strong as, as New Yorkers have been over the past twenty years. Now I remember when I was in, I believe it was grade eight. I, it happened for me, and it we heard about it when I was in the cafeteria. And that was for me. That's you know I look back on that. We we went home. We watched the news. CNN was just image after image after image of what was going on. My dad's a fire a retired firefighter now, so it kind of hit close to home for me. Anyways, knowing that every day these guys are going to work, putting their lives on the line. So for all those involved, for all those that were lost, we lost a couple from the hockey world as well during that time. Um, you know, nine 11 will never be forgotten. Um, what, what took place there changed the outlook of this world in, in a big, big way. Um, but on top of that, I'd also like to throw remembering Yaroslav um, locomotive and, a bunch of former NHLers were were included on that uh, that plane crash. Um, former Leafs, Igor Korolev, uh, uh, Alex Karpatsev, um, you know Brad McCrimmon was there. You know it was just it, it, a horrific story. Again, a lot of a lot of folks from the hockey world were taken from us on that day as well. And uh, yeah, I mean two two not not so happy memories to think back on but two that are noteworthy and and something that i i think obviously need to be mentioned off the top of the show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah like you mentioned it like both days are very synonymous with everybody considering what happened and the impact that it's had on all of us and you remember finally where you were with uh, 9-11, same with me. I, I was homesick that day. I, I wasn't able to go into school and I saw what was unfolding, but even Yaroslavl, um, I was in, I was, it was during uh, my university days at J school. And all of a sudden I see news on my phone blow up that a plane crashed carrying a hockey team. And I'm like, oh my God, I, you don't, you hope for the best and hope that, you know, you, everyone survived, but unfortunately no one did. And knowing that a couple former Leafs perished in that tragedy, it, it, it hit home. And, you know, it, it's, it, again, we say this time and time again on this podcast, it's difficult when you hear news like that, or we have to bring up stories like this, but I mean, w- we have to remember them and yeah, it, it's, it, it's extremely difficult. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, before we jump over to NHL news here, I'm going to throw out a couple of quick notes from uh, around the hockey world. Uh, Dominic Cahoon is jumping over to the Swiss League. He'll be leaving the NHL. Marcus Sorensen will be joining Jure Gardens of the SEL. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the PHF rebranding. So no longer is it the NWHL. I'm going to throw this one over to Peter. The PHF rebranding obviously jumped from the NWHL what are your thoughts on 
first the the rebranding itself and you know what it means for women's hockey i mean like any league when you try to like rebrand yourself you want to try and go in a positive direction and i think that's the main goal that they were trying to do um looking at the nwhl main website um the name itself and i'm going to quote uh the meaning behind it was inspired by empowerment gender equity and inclusivity with respect to differences in the gender identity of the current athletes prospective players and league stakeholders so i i think they just wanted to get away from the traditional woman moniker i mean you see that with the nwhl um they wanted to get away from that they wanted to try and make it more inclusive for everybody and that that to me that's the main sticking point we we want the, the hashtag going around hockey is for everyone or you know people feeling left out we want to make sure that they have a place in hockey no matter what their gender orientation is race background whatever we want everyone to be included so for them to go that route and rebrand it and change the name like that to me i think if that's the direction they want to go and and it leads to a positive impact then so be it i'm all for it yeah i mean i I, like I, you and I were kind of talking about it a little bit before we we we, st- we hit the record button here, but the, for me, one if you if you look at PHF right now, the league that comes up is a it's a Pakistani um, hockey federation. It's a field hockey federation for, for in in Pakistan. So first off, you've got to look at that as as being you know searchability um when you're at you're talking you know we talk about it at the hockey writers all the time your seo your search engine um you know whatever it, it just doesn't it doesn't kind of fit into that mold Two, you mentioned how the wnba hasn't really you know separated itself from the fact about you know it is a women's league um and and i don't i understand why they're doing it I get why they're they're trying to separate themselves from this idea of it being strictly a women's league and and, and the focus being on the fact that it's women. Um, but I think there needs to be a spot where you look at it and say, you know, letting people know that it is it is a women's league is showing the empowerment in itself. It, it's saying that hey, like this is this is our league. This is we have we have fought tooth and nail to get to this point to be an organization that is taken seriously in that. You know, we're looking to pay our athletes in the same way that, you know, the men, the men's league are, are paying their athletes. At a certain point, you don't want to shy away from, from that fact either. Um, I, I think there was, I, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but there was a conversation about, you know, this is the first time in women's hockey history on Twitter that everyone seemed to be in agreement. And it, and it came down to the fact that people didn't one didn't like the new logo and two kind of question why the PH or the NWHL decided to rebrand itself as the PHF. Um, again, it's, it's such a minor thing when it comes down to it at the end of the day, the league's going to be the same. It's, it's just a rebranding. Um, but it, it does definitely, you know, I think it's, it sours it a little bit for some, because I don't think you need to separate yourself from, this idea that it is a women's hockey league embrace it um make that a part of your identity that's 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 what we should be looking at rather than saying okay because it says women's hockey league we need to separate ourselves from that i i I mean that's just my take again i'm not part of the rebranding team i'm not part of their you know social media team whatever whatever it's just i don't know i think there's there's other options of how they how they could have gone about it and and to say that it's you know the premier hockey federation it just 
I don't I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't flow off the tongue as nicely as as I would have liked it. But it is what it is. No longer do the Toronto Six play in the NWHL. They now play in the PHF. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Matvey Michkov. And Alex, I'll throw this one to you because I know you've got a lot to say about Matvey Michkov. Um, this guy is absolutely tearing it up. Uh, he did at the World Junior Junior level last year. Uh, he did in the Russian Junior level last year. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy who's eligible for the 2023 draft alongside um, Connor Bedard. And now, I mean, we're talking about a guy who is among the top players under the age of 18 in scoring in the KHL history. And I bring that up. There was a tweet where I believe it was Vladimir Tarasenko led the way with 10 points over, you know, 30 games or something like that. And, and through his first three games at the KHL level, he had three points. He was ranked seventh among under 18 Russian players at the KHL level. What are your thoughts on this kid? What are your thoughts on what he can do? And is is this a guy that we could see come across, you know, to the NHL right away when he's drafted? Or is there going to be that Russian stigma that that kind of hovers around him as well? No, I I think we're going to see him in the NHL pretty quickly after um <clears throat> after he gets drafted. And, you know, it's just he's just such an absolutely special talent. I actually I did put out a tweet a couple of days ago saying that I honestly think that this Connor Bedard, Matvey Michkov draft could be more hyped up than Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. The skills that this kid has. Like I remember watching a video of him scoring his first KHL goal and just thinking, this guy is two years away from getting drafted. Like, I don't see shots that good from guys that have been drafted last year. And he's already going out there and he's firing on all cylinders like a guy who's been doing it for 10 years already. And it's just ridiculous. So um, I, I, I truthfully, there, you are, you do raise a good point there, Forbes, in saying that there is going to be a little bit of that Russian stigma around him because, you know, there's always going to be some guys that, that play in their homeland as opposed to coming to the NHL. But I, I truthfully believe that because he's right up with Connor Bedard and there's sort of that, I, I don't want to call it like a rivalry, but like call it like Bedard versus Mitch Bedard versus Mitchkov, kind of like how he had the whole McEichel draft. I think because there's that level of competition right there, I think we're going to be seeing Matvey Mishkov overseas in North America, because while yes, he would be leaving his homeland. He would be bringing great pride and honor if he were to have a more productive career than Connor Bedard. And I think that motivation enough would be, and not even just outscoring Connor Bedard, but like, because he's being compared to Bedard at the draft, um, I think he wants to prove to, and bring honor to his homeland by, by uh, firing on all cylinders. Like I said, across uh, overseas in the NHL, he can certainly do it with that skill set. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does this. He's already got three points in five games. It's obviously a very small sample size, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the NHL because the, the young talent coming over, coming over, over the couple next couple of years is just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're going to end up calling this the uh, Bedard of uh, uh, draft, <laughs> but uh, Peter, I mean, you know, you're, you're the head of our prospect coverage over at the hockey writers. Now um, is there even remotely a chance that Matt V. Michkov with all the talent that he has right now, seeing the shot that he has, knowing that this kid's only going to get bigger and stronger, 
Um, is there even a shot that he overtakes Connor Bedard as the number one pick in 2023? It's going to be neck and neck. I mean, how can you, both are extremely generational talents. I don't know how you could pin one over the other. I mean, you could, in essence, to the McEichel draft, McDavid was already at a whole nother level with his skating. Eichel probably had the better shot, but McDavid took control of everything. And both of these players take control of every single shift, every single time they're on the ice. I mean, um, I believe Connor Bedard had a really nice assist that he set up Zach Stringer for a goal in a pre uh, and an exhibition game. Uh, Matt Faye Mishkoff is lighting it up already. Um, it, it's, it, it, to be honest, if, if Matt Faye Mishkoff overtakes Connor Bedard as the number one seed, so be it. I mean, the guy, the guy can rip it. He can snipe. He can shoot. I don't think we've seen a shot like this. And he could probably, once he does come over, um, I, I believe his contract is for five years in the KHL. If and when he does come over, he's going to be already in talks with Ovechkin, with Austin Matthews, of having one of the best shots already. And this kid's only 16, 17 right now. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how things will unfold. Um, I'm just going to say this. If he is the consensus number one and a team doesn't take him because of that contract and he falls down to three, four, five, if he falls outside the top two, you deserve what you get because you're not going to find another talent like Matthew Mitchkov. Well, I mean, we, we did a pretty good job of keeping our, our one Russian listener really happy. So there you go, Vladimir Putin. Um, <laughs> too far, too far. No, no, no. <laughs> look at look at us recognizing our audience. Eh? There, there you uh, go. There you go. <laughs> um, anyways, jump. Let's jump over to the NHL news because that's why you guys are really here. Um, obviously, we're gonna t- no guests tonight. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Atlantic Division and our Toronto Maple Leafs. But before we get into that, um, oh, you know, it's been over a year now that Pierre and I you know, started this, this podcast and it all started with COVID lockdown. And that's why we, we got talking we, you know, started this show while COVID's affected some others in other ways. And unfortunately for San Jose assistant head coach, uh, Rocky Thompson, uh, he's going to have to step down or he did step down as their assistant coach, uh, real unfortunate, uh, as he, I guess isn't able to get vaccinated based on some health concerns. Um, again, it, it's it's an interesting time. It's it's changing people's people's lives in different ways. I know there's not much to say on this on this uh, on this storyline, but uh, just it, it is worth noting as as more teams and and uh, fan bases look to kind of head in that double vaccination direction. So um, that that. It definitely will come into play at some point this season. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, winter classic jerseys. I want to talk a little bit about that because the Minnesota wild came out with theirs and then the San or sorry, St. Louis blues came out with theirs. Minnesota's is interesting. And we talked about ads on the jerseys and, and it almost seems like they they're going ahead of the game here and just throwing as much shit onto a Jersey as they can. <laughs> And I'm going to throw it over to Alex right away because it seems like he's got something to say about this. Okay. So all I have to say about the Minnesota wild winter classic Jersey is it would be so much unbelievably better if they got rid of that stupid top stripe. 
That's, yeah. oh, that's literally the only thing on the jersey that ruins it for me. Otherwise, I think it's got a really cool, classic, rustic look. I love the colors, and I love how it's – it kind of fits the bill of, like, your typical hockey sweater from back in the day. But it's that top stripe. That top stripe ruins it for me, and I think it ruins other aspects of the jersey as well. Because if you look at the if the preview that they kind of put out, the C on the jersey that Jared Spurgeon was wearing looks so compressed. It's almost squished. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel like if you take that top stripe out and you just put a regular C on there, it looks so much better. So yeah, that that that's my take on it. It's short and sweet, but get rid of that top stripe. That's all I have to say. What are your What are your thoughts on the St. Louis Blues jersey? Um, I, I don't mind it. Truth be told, I'm not really a big fan of the. the I, I get why they're paying homage to their older jerseys, but I've never really been a big fan of the uh, the whole cream color aspect like i'm not really a big cream guy when it comes to i mean like it in my coffee but when it comes to jerseys and color schemes i'm not really a big not really a big cream guy otherwise band's pretty solid um okay sorry done with the stupid puns uh otherwise yeah the blues jerseys are all right i'm just not really a big fan of that color scheme i think i'd like the wild ones a lot more like i said if that top stripe wasn't there but uh overall i'd prefer i'd probably prefer the wild one once again, if that stripe wasn't there, but uh, both both decent jerseys, I'll say. Peter, your thoughts on on the uh, Winter Classic releases? Um, I th- I thought the, uh, I I believe that looks like the state of Minnesota in the middle of the crest, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it, that that to me is a really nice detail added in there. Um, if it isn't, I apologize. Um, my vision is really really bad even looking at my computer screen. So sorry in advance, but um. Yeah, I agree with Alex. That top stripe is a little bit of an eyesore and it looks too much like a 19. I mean, I get they were going for that rustic look, but it looks way too much like a jersey you would find in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. So if that line was a little bit down, kind of like what they currently have in like their older jerseys from like the mid thousands, where it had the logo, it was white in the background and they had that stripe going across. If they lower the stripe, I it would probably be a little bit better. But I, to me, less is more with the St. Louis Blues. I think that they nailed it on the head. It was simplistic, going back to their old, their early days. Um, to be honest, I, the cream it doesn't really affect me. Um, it, to me, it just looks like a really like a nice beige. But then again, my vision is just poor as all hell. So. Um, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I, I like the Blues jerseys over the Minnesota Wild, but it, it, if, if they, if they did get rid of that line, it would look better. Yeah, I, I me a person, I was thinking about like the, uh, the state outline on the on the Minnesota jerseys, and I just was like thinking like, what if you know for for like the next Winter Classic that the Leafs are involved, you know, they throw the Ontario outline where it looks like <laughs> a fish on their on their jersey. I mean, I just. I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really get it, but you know, it, it, like, like Alex said, it's, it's a nice little throwback and, and uh, you know, take out that extra stripe and, and maybe we're looking at a Jersey. That's well, what, what, what are we saying? They're good. People are going to buy it anyways. It's great marketing, you know, New Jersey's every year, but uh, you know, I wanted, I did want to bring up one thing that we didn't have on our outline for the episode this, this week in that there was some talk that, there's potential the Leafs and Sabres could play an outdoor game in Hamilton. Mm. And what's interesting about this is that it, it would go down as a Buffalo home game. Okay. So I want to get your take on one, how great it would be to have the Leafs in another outdoor game. 
because I've covered the last two for the for the the hockey writers and boy like those the experience in itself was phenomenal but not only that we've on this podcast we've shit on the on the Buffalo Sabres on a number of occasions and now it seems like the NHL is going to shit on them a little bit more by taking one of their home games and throwing it smack dab in the middle of Ontario so Peter what are, what are your thoughts on on this is it really a, even if it's closer to Buffalo, is it really technically a Buffalo Sabres home game? I mean, we saw what happens at the QEW series every single time the Leafs are in town, the Leafs fans flock over to Buffalo no matter what. So if the fact that they're not crossing over the border, you're going to probably get more Maple Leaf fans if the Buffalo Sabres are the home team, given the fact that it is in Ontario. Um, I mean, Great, because, you know, maybe trying to get, you want to try and drum up some business in Hamilton. I mean, talks in the past, they wanted to try and get a second team in Ontario and like Markham and Hamilton were like the big name spots. Um, they got a really good junior hockey team there. Um, they thrived with uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs in the past in the AHL as well. Um, I believe that was a team name. Uh, if I'll get back you to are that. Correct. Oh, you, you are correct. Oh. correct. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've proven to be a hockey market and if they want to have a game there, so be it. I mean, it's, it's, I, I again, it's, my thing with the whole outdoor game thing is it's getting too much where you're just throwing out or having outdoor games for just for the sake of having outdoors game an outdoors game. If this was a winter classic in Hamilton, fine, whatever. The winter classic is a winter classic, but if you're just having a stadium series, it just loses all its like hype and intensity and purpose for it. Alex, I'm going to throw the rumor mill at you and say, how great would it be for Jack Eichel to play against his former team in a Leafs Jersey again in <laughs> Hamilton? <laughs> oh, is, is that where we're at in this episode already? We're already, already. We're, already we're already dreaming up Jack Eichel, donning the Leafs jersey, playing his former team in this year's Winter Classic. Jack well, Eichel if, if for Mitch gonna, Marner. If that, I was just going to say, if that's going to happen, then you're going to have to put up with seeing the number 16 in a Sabres jersey as well coming to Toronto. Um, no, but for real, I, I, I really like the idea of, a, of a, an outdoor game in Hamilton. And you know what? that all comes down to the fact that's like 40 minutes away from me. So it's like an NHL game, 40 minutes away. Absolutely. Sign me the hell up. And I don't even care if I have to stand like 50 kilometers away from the ice. Like some people do, like I, I, I will take a, uh, an outdoor game any day of the week. I've never been to one before. So I think it would be really cool to see, uh, uh, see those two teams face off. And I also think there would actually be a surprising turnout of Sabres fans there because I'm, currently located in the Niagara region and geographically about 50% of hockey fans here are Sabres fans because we're obviously super close. You know, you've got the guys, my, my radio prof last year was Rick Jenner at son. So he, he's, he's kind of given me a little bit of insight there and told me like, yeah, there are a lot of Sabres fans in Niagara just because you can hop over the border and be there. Essentially. You don't have to mm-hmm. do the, that nightmare of a trek to Toronto. Um, so yeah, I, I think it would be really cool. I think there are there is a there is a bit of a community of Sabres fans in the Niagara region, and obviously Niagara is only about a half hour from Hamilton. So um, yeah, if if they, if that outdoor game comes to fruition, sign me up. I'll be there. So what you're saying is, eighty percent of the season ticket holders in Buffalo actually live across the border in Canada in Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a hot take to say that. Uh, no, I'm just, I, I, I love ripping on the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, it seems like they always have the upper hand when we, when we 
head down to Buffalo and play them. Uh, again, beautiful city. No, no, it's not. But they have some great fans. Um, oh, man, you're really going I'm all out now. I'm, I'm on one tonight, boys. I'm on one tonight. Uh, our, next, our, our, our next UFC headliner is going to be Andrew Forbes versus the city of Buffalo. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. Bring in Jake Paul. Let's go. Yeah. Ooh. She's representing the city of Buffalo. I love it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. For some, re- for some reason. Um, before we get into our Atlantic preview, we did talk a little bit about the jerseys and um, designs. A lot at this time of year, a lot of a lot of goalies are getting their new masks, their new pads. I want to talk about Elvis Merzlikens because his mask is. I you know I I don't I don't really have the words for it. Um, what happened to to uh, Kiv Lennox was just un, you know I, I I I it's just one of those things that you just it's it's tough to talk about. But um, he says he wants to go out and win the Vesna uh, for Kiv Lennox. He wants to go out and uh, you know have the, our, the best year of his career to 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 pay homage to to a guy that you know obviously made the the final save of his career in 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 saving the, the Merzlikens at the uh the legacy wedding. So um your thoughts one on the mask Peter but two on on you know his his kind of proclamation that he's going to go out there and, and win the Vesna. I mean the mask itself is a really beautiful design and great homage to his teammate. I mean there's no other way to put it. Um I I it it's I, I, again, it, it's really tough because how everything unfolded, what happened, and the fact that he did that on the mask, but now the proclamation that you just mentioned that he wants to go and win the the Vesna for his uh, teammate. If it do, if it does happen, this is going to be an incredible storyline. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, he he basically said, and I'm reading an article off uh, NHL.com where he's just like, I don't want to make any promises, but I can tell you my plan is to win the Vesna. I'm going to win a Vesna for him. Can't make any promises because this is hockey and we do not know how far this season can go, but this is my goal. I mean, we've seen how great of a goalie and how much of an impact that Merzlikens can have. If he comes out flying out of the gate, I mean, and he continues to put up this ridiculous numbers, even though the Columbus Blue Jackets won't be as competitive as they may seem, I think you got to have him at least in some talks if it, if the numbers are what they seem, if they reflect in his game. I mean, forget the win losses. If he's putting up stellar numbers, that's all that that's all that counts. And if he's doing it for him, great. I mean, it's. It, it, it just makes this whole tragic storyline even more uplifting in a sense, because you know that it's going to be a positive outcome, but it's still very tragic considering what unfolded. And if it does happen, I, I, I'm going to be ecstatic that if he does win it. Alex, you have a bit of a better way with words than uh, I obviously do leading into this story, but uh, your thoughts on, on the proclamation that, you know, he wants to go out there and win the Vesna in two um, the mask that he he had made for for this upcoming season. Well, like Peter said, mask was an absolutely beautiful tribute, and I mean, you, I think what a, what kind of flies under the radar here is that these guys weren't just teammates, and I I, I won't even say that it, 
it flies under the radar because I think everybody at this point kind of knows how close they were. But when you consider the fact that these two guys are pretty similar, they were pretty similar in age. They're both Latvian. They're both playing for the exact same team. Uh, Kiv Lennox lived with uh, Elvis Merzikins throughout last season and the season before, I think. Um, they were they were family. Now. And at, at this point, I'm, I'm rooting for nobody but Merzlikens to take home the best of this year because we know what Merzlikens is like as a person and as a goaltender. And even before Kiv Lennox passed away, I, I always loved Elvis Merzlikens because he's, he's got that bubbly personality. He's just one of those guys where you listen to one of his press conferences or one of his interviews and you just immediately fall in love with the type of person he is. And at this point, man, like I, I know he's a great goalie and I will be rooting for him every step of the way to take home the best. And even if it comes down to him and Jack Campbell, I want, I want Merzlikens to take it home because in the end it's a trophy and it's going to mean so, so, so much more to him than it would to any other goalie in the league at this point. So if, uh, if he can go out there and he can put his best foot forward and do, and obviously Columbus isn't one of the, one of the better teams this year, but we've seen it happen before. And obviously I think, uh, I think he's going to have that motivation. Like he's, he's been pretty clear about that and he's got his goal set in mind. And it's very rare that you ever hear a goalie come out and say, I want to win the best enough. But if he, if he's got that goal in mind set for doing it for one of his best friends and for, uh, and to keep his legacy going, then I don't see how any NHL fan could uh, be against that and could root against him. So I, I think we're all in the same boat cheering for him here. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think I mean their their relationship is a perfect example of the brotherhood or or the camaraderie that exists in in within the world of hockey, and um, they were family, and you you saw with the you know the way that he responded to not only the death but um, honoring him by naming his you know giving his name to his child, um, you know that kind of stuff it, it does leave a mark, and I I do think that you know even if he has that mentality that he wants to go out there and he wants to win win the Vesna, you know if he doesn't, it doesn't even matter. The fact that he's doing it with with you know um, obviously Kiv Lennox on his mind that's that's something way beyond any of us can can comprehend at this point. But um, before we jump into the Atlantic Division. Um, one note I wanted to make, we talked last week about offer sheets and how, you know, we would love to see more of them in, in the NHL. And, and one, one note that, uh, you know, Peter made was that Brian Burke, uh, did mention how he wanted to offer sheet Phil Kessel way back when Kessel was playing for the Bo- uh, Boston Bruins, obviously down the road, he ended up getting him for a, a monster deal, um, s- sending two first, first round picks and what have you. But uh, yeah, just worth noting. I think Brian Burke likes to come out and stir the pot afterwards all the time. It seems like every every time there's a controversial story, Brian Burke has something to say about it, and, and you know what he would have done as the GM or what he wanted to do as the GM. And um, yeah, I won't get too crazy into that because it's obviously the past of the past. But um, also worth noting that Sidney Crosby did have some wrist surgery this off season. He'll be out six weeks. Um, not positive that he'll be ready for the beginning of the season, but uh, it looks like he might miss a little bit of time in, in that respect as well. So moving forward, the Atlantic division, obviously we talked about it last week and the Leafs potentially could miss the playoffs being back in this tough Atlantic. They're That's, back. They're back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Um, that said, we're going to kind of run through each team here, give your, give you guys a preview of what, uh, what can be expected this season for, for the Leafs. And I want to start off with the team that knocked the Toronto Maple Leafs out of the playoffs. They're up for a big test coming back this year, but the Montreal Canadiens, um, obviously losing Corey Perry. He's off to Tampa. They're, they've lost Shea Weber in, you know, potentially a career-ending number of injuries. Carey Price, we're not sure where he's at health-wise. But the Montreal Canadiens, are they a team that we see heading back to the playoffs this season, Alex? No, I don't think so. And truth be told, like, I, I know that some people here in that are going to obviously jump to, oh, of course, this is a fucking Leafs podcast. Why would you get the Habs any credit, right? But in all seriousness, I had I was probably one of the few Leafs fans that I saw on Twitter who actually had respect for Habs, for the Habs and the run that they went on. And, I mean, you know, it, it just goes to show that when the playoffs are on, it's it's an entirely different uh, sort of atmosphere around the game. And uh, the regular season doesn't matter because the Habs came into the playoffs, the record sub 500, and they ended up going to the Stanley Cup final because they gave a shit every single night. And so I have nothing but respect for what the Habs were able to do last year. Having said that, I just, if we're talking strictly about the regular season, I have a really hard time believing that they're going to come out on top over Tampa, Florida, Toronto, and Boston. I just, I, I can't see it happening unless one of those teams uh, hopefully not the Leafs has a deep plummet nosedive to start the season. I or sorry to end the season. I guess I I truly can't see the Habs being better than any of those teams. So I'd probably have them finishing fifth, but that's about it. Peter, I didn't even mention Joe, um, Philip Deneau, LA Kings. He's he's headed that uh, that route. Thomas Tatar, he's also gone. John Merrill, he's gone. Um, is we we don't really know where you know Jonathan Drouin is at this at this point either. Um, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, we didn't even mention him. Art, Arturi uh, Lekkinen, obviously he's back, but there, there's so many so many names missing from this lineup that made that that crazy run to the final this this past year. Is this even remotely uh, the same team? Is this Bergevin's team, or is this a team that is going to have a completely different identity heading into the twenty twenty one or sorry the twenty one twenty two season? I mean, I, th- I think they try to go with a different identity, um, but then again, what is that identity right now? I mean, last year they were the underdogs; they were the ones that everyone bet against, and they kept on powering through. This year, you, you don't know what that is. I mean, they got uh, David Savard um with that four-year contract but at the same time um is he gonna really take on those top line minutes that Shea Weber is going to that's that they're going to lack in missing Shea Weber for the whole entire season he doesn't have the offensive numbers to try and do that he's the stay-at-home defenseman at least Shea Weber could put up offense and he's got a shot David Savard chips in offensively every now and then but I don't think he's going to cut out what Shea Weber was Matt Hoffman um, they signed him. Uh, again, he's just known as a one-truck pony being a power play kind of guy. Can he try and, you know, find some five-on-five offense and make an impact there? We've seen him in the past. He just likes to line up on that right half wall and then just rip it on the power play. That's it. Um, 
I mean, they also signed other depth players, Cedric Paquette and Matthew Parole. They're going with the depth players, but and again, it's not strong depth, the depth that they had. And like you mentioned, they are missing Dano, who was a very defensive-minded specialist who shut down Austin Matthews. He's gone. You're basically replacing him and Kakaniemi with Christian Dvorak, who really hasn't surmounted to much. Even though he's a top six, middle six centerman, he really hasn't cracked 40 points in his entire career. I love the guy, but I don't think he's going to be the answer or an improvement based on what they already had. So it's, again, you, you don't know what to make of this team right now. But then again, there is a possibility that they can surprise. We, we saw it last year in the playoffs. But at the same time, to make the playoffs themselves, they had a horrible regular season. I mean, by all by the numbers itself, they shouldn't even have made it. But they got lucky and they did, and they went on that run. But at the same time, to compete, like Alex mentioned, to compete against Boston, Toronto, Tampa, and Florida right now, I, I just can't see it. Where do you have them finishing out of eight teams in the Atlantic Division? I, I have them finishing in the five spot. Uh, they're going to miss out on the playoffs. I think they're going to be competitive, but they are going to miss out. And I think that's where, you know, if it's the whole Kakaniemi thing, if they give up the higher of the two picks outside of the top 10, which is going to be their pick to Carolina, and they're going to hold on to the lesser of the two picks, that to me just seems like bad asset management. Yeah, you mentioned the Dvorak uh, acquisition. And, you know, right now he's looking like he's going to be the 2C. And I, I'm just not set on seeing him him as a 2C. I think we talked about this a little bit last episode, me mm-hmm. seeing him play here in London. And, and there was a lot of talk at one point that, you know, this, this is a guy who could potentially be a better NHL than, than Mitch Marder. We have yet to see that from Christian Dvorak. The skating isn't there. Um, he does play a good two-way game. But it, the fact is, for him to be your 2C, it, it, it's not looking good for this team. And, it, and what, what's crazy is that this is a team that really is driving – you know, a kind of a youth bus here. You've got Caulfield, you've got Nick Suzuki, uh, you've got Romanov, uh, Agent Romanov on the on the uh, on the back end here. Um, you know, this is a team that that could really develop and, and benefit off of off of what they can do through the draft, and then they they offer up a first round pick in the higher of the two to uh, to, to acquire Christian Dvorak. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but that said, I mean. You know, it, it, anytime you lose your leader in Shea Weber, that's going to hurt. Um, you know, you bring in a guy like David Savard, who who now does have the the Stanley Cup experience, which does certainly help. But you lose it, uh, you know, you lose a guy in in Corey Perry, who's who's integral to that team. Um, the depth just isn't there anymore. You've got Matthew Perot, decent depth signing. Um, you know, Cedric Paquette. I mean, again. A lot of depth talk. Mike Hoffman, you said he's he's a he's a power play specialist. What he does away from the puck, and I mean, I hate I hate to go back on this, but what is he like away from the the, the ice as well? Because we know we know the history of the issues he's had with with former teammates. So, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks here, and I think you know as as pumped up as Montreal was to see was to see their team uh, go to the Stanley Cup final i think they're going to be kind of brought back to reality in in where this team is at realistically uh in a full 82 game schedule when they when they see how they perform this year i personally have them in the 6th spot uh in the atlantic i think 
right now the two teams below them are, you're looking at Buffalo and Detroit. I think Ottawa is going to surprise a lot of people this year. So, um, yeah, that, I have them in the sixth spot. I, I think they could they could r- rise to the fifth fifth spot depending on health of, of certain players. But uh, six for me with the Montreal Canadiens. I am going to stay in Canada. I just mentioned the Ottawa Senators, and and we're gonna we're gonna jump right over to the Ottawa Senators in our preview here. Um, again, this team is uh, there's question marks, but there's a lot of excitement around this this team as well. Um, Peter, we're gonna start with you this time. What are your thoughts on the Ottawa Senators going into the 21-22 season? Um, kind of like this season. I mean, you mentioned it, that they're going to probably be a lot more competitive. And we saw how much of a thorn they can be in a lot of the team size, especially seeing them in the North Division. Um, still, the big question is right now, they kept a lot of their team intact. I mean, they added Michael Delzato on the back end. They re-signed Drake Batherson, who was essential to them in their top six. My thing is, you don't have Brady Kachuk re-signed. That, to me, is the major sticking point. And we're getting close to the wire right now. We're seeing some disconnect between the two sides, how Brady isn't happy and the management's trying to like make it seem like it's all positive. They're trying to get something, but nothing has. And it's like their version of the Mitch Marner saga. And... To me, if you they really have any chance of being competitive, you've got to sign Brady Kachuk right now, long term. Um, probably isn't going to happen. I think they're going to try and reach on a two, three year deal and then try and get something long term after that. But I mean, you you have to look at their depth too in their farm system and the young and the youth movement coming up. They have a lot of promising players, especially we saw the way that Shane Pinto played coming up and making an impact right away. So you're probably looking that he's going to stick with the team, probably find some top six minutes and be a key factor along with uh, Batherson, with Alex Remington, who's going to make some noise with Tim Stutzla, like Josh Norris and everybody else in, on that team right now that they have a lot of promise, but I still think they're a very long way away from being a very competitive team. Um, to me, their defense, aside from Thomas Shabbat, is just still some uncertainty surrounding what they have. And, I mean, is Nikita Zaitsev still going to be – I mean, he, was, he looked okay at times for them last year, but is he going to be the answer for them going forward? I don't think so. Um, Artem Zub looked good. Um, can he try and replicate on his success? So there's still some questions on the back end and a lot of question marks overall. But I, I, I do think that there is some promise there. They traded Evgeny Dadunov. Um, you mentioned they don't have Brady to Chuck signed. Drake Batherson obviously re-signed. Logan Brown remains unsigned mm-hmm. as, a, as a, um, a free agent. Um, Derek Stepan's gone. Ryan Dezingle's gone. Um, there's a again a lot of question marks in terms of the depth of this team. Goaltending. Matt Murray obviously signed the, the contract pr- prior to last year. Um, injuries plagued him once again. Um, Philip Gustafson is a guy that they they do have within the system, but again, not a lot of experience when it comes to the NHL. Alex. Ottawa Senators, are they a team that could be those pesky Sens and find a way to inch their way, not not necessarily to a playoff spot, but climb the ranks of the Atlantic Division? They're always going to be the pesky Sens, always. 
you know, I, even last year, I remember before the playoffs started, I said, if I could, like, of all the teams in the North Division, I think the Senators are probably the ones that I'd want to play the least in a playoff series. Because I think the Leafs actually did worse against Ottawa than any other team in their division last year, which says a lot because they were the last place team. Um, or actually, was it Vancouver that finished last or Ottawa? I believe it was Vancouver finished last. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because Ottawa heated up a little bit at the end there. Okay, so either way, bottom two team in the division. But it does say a lot. They're, they're, they're an annoying team. They will chip away if they've got a lot of young guys who are hungry to make noise and prove to management that they want to be a part of the core long term. And they're just – they're always going to be that thorn in the side type of team. So I do think that they are going to make some noise this year. I don't think that they're ready for the playoffs. I don't like their they had a, they were pretty inactive this off season in general. They didn't really bring in too many big free agents unless you want to count, I don't know, Scott Sabrin is one of them. <laughs> uh, Cole Sherwood, Pontus Aberg, Michael Delzato, Nick Holden. I mean, these are all decent players, but like none of them are game changers. So uh, I do think that they're going to be annoying and they're going to make some noise and they'll probably challenge for – the teams challenge to be a team that challenges for a playoff spot, I guess, if that makes any sense. But I don't think I, I like Peter said, I think they're a couple years away from really being a team that makes a lot of noise. You mentioned some of their depth players too, that they sign and they don't have like a strong leadership or veteran presence. And I think that's going to be the main sticking point for them. Their oldest player that they have is Michael Delzato at 31. Um, great player, but not, someone who's had a lot of success in his career. You want to try and find and get those guys who can be a mentor to some of those players. And a lot of the other vets like Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, they're 27. Um, you know, Austin Watson's 29. You, you got to surround themselves with better leadership presence and a better, uh, you know, experienced players as well, instead of just depth ones that may not surmount to anything. Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of you. I, I think th- Realistically, this is a team that's very young still. Um, you know, you mentioned Thomas Shabbat, uh, Josh Brown, um, Eric Brandstrom on the back end. J- Jacob Bernard Docker is a guy who's in the system, could potentially find a way onto this team. Colin White, uh, Tim Stutzla, who, who again, with the NHL experience that he got from last season, Look for him to be to make some noise this year. Uh, Shane Pinto, he's a guy who who got in at the at the tail end of that season as well. Josh Norris, uh, again, Alex Fermentin, uh, speed, speed, speed. That's that's what I think is going to separate this team from a lot of the teams in the Atlantic. Is that this team is fast? It's very fast, and you get the biggest thing will be for them to get to Chuck signed. Once you get to Chuck signed then you can kind of focus on where, how you're going to form formulate this team and put it all the pieces together. But uh, you know, Connor Brown's coming off a, off a world championship. Mm -hmm. I mean, that only gives you a little bit more confidence in terms of coming off of what he did last season. And he's, he's one of their go-to guys. He's one of their veterans. Um, Again, I I think the biggest issue here is going to be goaltending. I think you're going to talk about Matt Murray. We've seen what you know, his career has kind of been riddled with, with injury after injury. This team is going to make it tough in the Atlantic division for, for other teams to get the job done. And, you know, Victor Mete on the back end, he's a guy who's got something to prove at this point. Um, let go by, by the Montreal Canadians and, and picked up by, uh, by Ottawa. There's, there's a lot of potential in this team. Nick Holden's another guy they, they acquired in that Dadanov trade. Um, 
I, I just, I, I see them making a step in the right direction. I I'm kind of on board with both of you guys and saying that this is a team that, you know, give them two or three years, let them figure out what they have in their system. I could see them making the playoffs in two years, but right now I have them in the five spot versus where, you know, you guys had Montreal sitting there. Um, jumping over to the Buffalo Sabres, our lovely Buffalo Sabres. And I know we lost a few of you Buffalo listeners, but we'll, we'll win you back. Um, the Buffalo Sabres seem to have the Jack Eichel saga continuing to hang over their heads. Um, but I'm going to, I, I want to jump right into what, what the potential is here for this season. I, I have never, have never hated on their fans. I think their fans are incredible. I think they deserve, they deserve so much love and wealth because they are true hockey fans. But Alex, the Buffalo Sabres, do they have an opportunity here if they decide to keep Eichel? And I know we talked about it last, last week. The, the likelihood of him being gone is very, very high. But again, there has been no movement in the past week. There's been no news in the past week. Um, is, this a, is this a Buffalo Sabres team that is, loves to kind of feed off of the frenzy that, that comes with all these headlines? Um, I mean, I, I guess there would be a little bit of merit to that, but at the same time, I, I don't see the Sabres doing anything in terms of making noise this season. I just, you know, the, the, this whole Jack Eichel thing has dragged on for so, so, so long. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be completely honest. I can't see a single scenario. I, I know we talked about this last week, but I can't see a single scenario where he ends up back in Buffalo. And then, you know, at least I, I'll, I'll go as far as to say at least um, with the same sort of atmosphere as he had beforehand, before the, the, the contract talks got in the way and before the trade, the, the whole surgery, not letting him get a surgery and everything happened. Like, even if he does come back to Buffalo, I don't think it's going to be the same. And I think at, the, at that point, it's just going to be, he's playing until they can work on a potential suitor and find a, find him a potential suitor for him to uh, trade, be traded to. So, I just, I, you know, I, Buffalo is still such a far, far, such a long, long way away from uh, being relevant in the, in the Atlantic division again. And I know that's a little bit of a little bit of a harsh way of putting it. And I agree with you. Most of the Sabres fans that I've met are great people and I feel bad for them because to have to witness this saga, it, it honestly almost seems like my 15 years of watching the, or actually 15, we're, we're on 16 now. My 16 years of watching the Toronto Maple Leafs when I hopped on board after those glory runs in the early 2000s, that makes makes my tenure as a Leafs season or as a Leafs fan seem like a, a cakewalk. Honestly, <laughs> it just what what the Sabers have put their fans through over the past year. It makes me look like I've literally had a walk in the park cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs, which says a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I hate to say it, I just I, I can't see the Sabers making any noise this year. I mean. I guess they step in the right direction, bringing back Don Granado as their head coach because he I, he seemed to do well towards the end of the season with them. Once they snapped that horrid, what was it, like 18-game losing streak or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll probably just leave it there. I, I think that when the time comes, they, they, they'll, they'll probably have enough nice young pieces that they'll be able to sort of work slowly work their work, work their way back into the conversation. But as of right now, I just, I think they're destined for last place. 
So you, you've got them at eight. Throw me, throw me a quick rank that you had for Ottawa as well. Uh, I had Ottawa at fifth or sorry, sixth. So Peter, I think obviously I know I kind of threw Alex a, a quick one here saying, what if they do keep Eichel, but chances are Eichel's gone somewhere at some point, if not before the season early on in the season, um, you know, obviously, Reinhardt's gone. Um, they're really heading towards the youth movement in Buffalo. What are your thoughts on this team? And, and can they, I'm not even going to say, like, climb the ranks of the Atlantic Division, but can they be a team that potentially, you know, sits maybe ahead of the Detroit Red Wings? Or are we talking about a team that, like Alex said, is looking at a, a dead last finish in the Atlantic? Yeah, you mentioned the youth movement. Um, it's going to be a long time before some of their other top names come up. I mean, Dylan Cousins is already, you know, he looked, he was probably one of the bright spots this year um, after the World uh, Junior Championship. But you're looking at a long time until you see J.J. Paterka, before you see Jack Quinn, before you see Isaac Rosen, and uh, I believe Prokar Paltapov, who was also selected in 2021. So they're, they're heading in the right direction. They are rebuilding for a future without Jack, without Jack Eichel. But I think they should also be looking at, you know, some guy named Shane Wright, who, you know, is pretty good. Alex mentioned that they are going to be in a lottery team. So if they get Shane Wright, if Jack Eichel is gone, this is a new wave movement for the Buffalo Sabres because – a lot has to go right for them and a lot has to go wrong for some of the other teams that they want to try and be ahead of in the bottom of the basement. But with what Ottawa has done with what the Detroit Red Wings have done with their prospect system and Steve Eisenman in charge, I, I don't see how they can at least even bump up to seventh spot. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm kind of right there with both of you. I think at this point, I'm not, there's not much more I can add, but I think Buffalo is going to be the eighth spot. Um, and I think it's going to be another tough grind for, for Buffalo fans. And, and like Alex put, I think you put it perfectly. A lot of great people in Buffalo, a lot of great people that go to those games. And hopefully at some point this team finds a way to turn it around and, and hopefully they don't pull some crazy shit, like trading their first round pick this year. Um, that would just drive fans up the wall, but, um, yeah, I mean, got the, at least they've got the bills. That's yeah. Yeah. So, at least they've got, even, the bills are, even, even the bills lost today. So I, I was going to say, Oh, and one, Oh, and one. <laughs> That's okay. Josh Allen, he, a, lot, a lot of people saying he's going to be the MVP, but, um, Detroit, the Red Wings, Peter, you mentioned them, Steve Eiserman back at the helm in Detroit back home where he belongs. Um, this is a team that when it comes to their pipeline is very exciting. Um, obviously they, they acquired Alex Nadelkovich in net, a uh, huge acquisition for them. I think he's a guy that, uh, obviously we saw in Carolina, he was their go-to in the playoffs. Um, but Dylan Larkin leading the charge, they did lose Mantha. They, they, they picked up a guy in Jacob Verana, uh, at the at, late last season. So, is this a team that could make strides the same way that Eiserman did with the Tampa Bay Lightning when he kind of ran that show over there? Absolutely. And I, I think that, I, I mean, 
I think the Ottawa Senators are going to finish above Detroit. But if there's one team that can finish six above the Ottawa Senators, it is the Detroit Red Wings. And given the fact that they have a capable starter already, I don't know why Carolina let him go for next to nothing, all because of $3 million that they couldn't even sign him for. I mean, that to me was just a big, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to think of that move. That, that was just like, really, what are you thinking? Um, but yeah, they still got, they got Dylan Larkin, like you mentioned, and, and Vrana. Tyler Bertuzzi looked pretty good before he went down with um, an injury and his season was done. But again, their core, Lucas Raymond, Jonathan Bergeron, and uh, Moritz Sider are names that you're probably going to see make an impact and possibly make the jump over. And if they are confident in, I, I'm, I would assume maybe Jonathan Bergeron has a better spot or better chance to make it than maybe Lucas Raymond. I don't know. I think Raymond still has a really good shot, but more excited on the back end to help out with that defense who that doesn't quite look as promising. He's going to log some heavy minutes. He's going to be a major impact player for them in the top four right away. I, I, I can't see him starting in the bottom pairing because that's just going to be a slap in the face to him. Um, the fact that they have three... Or, or three of their top prospects possibly making the jump over this year, I think they can make some big noise. And we saw at times that they can be a dangerous team. And I'm, I'm hoping that if, they, if there's one team to take major strides out of Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit, Detroit is my dark horse for this conference that could, like, you know, make some noise. So, so sorry, you have them fin- finishing over top of the, the Ottawa centers? I I don't think so, but I do think that if there is a chance, I'm going to pull up Bob McKenzie. I'm going to say no, but if there is a chance, it is going to be the Detroit Red Wings that could vault over and finish just slightly over them. Alex, Sam Gagne is back in Detroit. Um, Puis uh, Suter, Lashoff's back. Tyler Bertuzzi signed. Uh, Tanner Pearson signed. There's a, there's a ton of names that, you know, like I mentioned, Iserman is slowly building his Iserman-like team here in Detroit. Um, your thoughts on, on this team, and are they a club that should take a step in the right direction when it comes to the 21-22 season? Absolutely. I love the youth movement, the youth movement that they've got going there. Uh, Peter pretty much hit every nail on the head talking about Lucas Raymond and uh, Moritz Cedar. Moritz Cedar, for, for what it's worth, is my favorite prospect uh, that is not in the Leafs organization. I remember in 2019, back before the Leafs traded their first round pick for Jake Muzzin, uh, when Moritz Cider, is it Cedar or Cider? I don't want to fuck it up anymore. <laughs> You know what? We're we're not a names podcast, so I mean, there you go. I, I think it's Moritz Cedar. Um, okay, well, we'll call him Cedar then. All right, yeah. So when Moritz Cedar was, um, he was originally projected to go in the late first round, and I remember thinking at the time, like, I would love it if he slipped to Toronto. And then he slowly started working his way up through the ranks, and it started to seem like less and less of a reality. And then when Detroit took him sixth overall, I remember actually thinking that's a steal which is crazy to think because you're talking about a guy who was supposed to go probably around 15th to 20th overall. And I was calling a steal when he was taken at sixth overall. So I think he is a, he's going to slot in like Peter said in the top four this year. I think he is going to uh, really make some noise on that back end for Detroit. And I also love what they did in the draft this year, bringing in Simon Edmondson and Sebastian Costa in the first round. 
uh, both two, two both really great players. And um, yeah, in terms of how they're going to do this season, I'd say probably like like Peter said, I'd say probably below Ottawa uh, ahead of Buffalo, but. I do think that they are absolutely moving in the right direction. And I mean, five years from now, when that course starts to round itself out a little bit, uh, I, I don't like being in the same division as Steve Eiserman on two different teams. <laughs> I just don't like it. I don't like having to deal with his, you know, his, his handprints on the Tampa Bay lightning and then having to eventually deal with what he does with Detroit. So Steve, I mean, once you, once you finish building the Red Wings, you're free to leave and go to another division. Western yeah. Conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go, go, go to one of the California teams. I don't care. Yeah, no kidding. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I do think that this is going to be a scary team in a couple of years. I, I really do like what they've done over the past few seasons, even before Eiserman got there. Um, I, I think uh, Moritz Cedar is going to be in the in the top four this year. Uh, basically, everything you guys said. Um, you know, this is a team that no matter what they, they kind of find a way to, to get things done. And, and yeah, they had a rough go last year. Obviously Thomas Grice did not, did not look good. His numbers were probably, you know, record setting in a bad way, but um, you know, I, from what I heard, there was a five five hundred $500,000 difference in what Nedeljkovic wanted and what the Carolina hurricanes wanted to pay him. I heard it was a difference between 3 million and 3.5. And, and that was the difference maker to, that, that sent him to Detroit. So if, if in fact that's true, that's a that's a complete bogus bullshit move by the the Carolina Hurricanes and and uh, you know spend the money on on Kotkaniemi, I guess, but don't don't <laughs> lock down your your top goaltender. Regardless, I uh, I do have Detroit one step ahead of the Buffalo Sabers as well. I have them finishing seventh in the division, and uh, I think they're going to just continue taking steps in the right direction, um, you know, moving forward. So. Heading into our top four teams in the Atlantic, what better way to go than talk about the, the Boston Bruins and our favorite team as, as Maple Leaf fans. They seem to ruin our, our dreams every each and every year. But, um, yeah, the Boston Bruins, um, again, a lot of big names joining the team, a lot of, a lot of names that uh, are, are questionable. Obviously, Tuka Ross being, being the main, main guy and in, in having some work done this offseason. He could miss some some time. Nick Foligno joined the Boston Bruins after leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs. Taylor Hall re-signed, and then obviously that top line is still intact with Patrice Bergeron mentioning that he would like to play out his final season of his contract with the Bruins before deciding his future. So with all that in mind, Alex, the Boston Bruins, are they the team that could potentially stop the Leafs from finishing top three in the division? I would say so, yeah. Um, I, I did a little breakdown uh, in an article for the Hockey Raiders a couple, couple days ago, uh, basically just ma- taking the Bruins' offense, their defense, and their goaltending and uh, matching it, seeing how it matches up with the Leafs in, that, in every, every retrospect. And, um, you know, I, I, I obviously do still think the Leafs have them beat offensively. I mean, Boston's got their dangerous line of uh, Marshan, Pasternak, and Bergeron, and then they've got Taylor Hall on the outside, which will provide some wicked secondary scoring this year. So those four guys, 
uh, impress me. And then after that, it just kind of t- it trails off a little bit. I still think the Leafs are going to be a better offensive team. Um, while I do think that the Leafs improve defensively, I still think Boston's going to have the edge defensively. That's just the style of game they play. They're a big defensive team. Always got good penalty killing numbers. And obviously when you've got guys like Patrice Bergeron up front, he's the best, one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL, if not the best. Uh, They are going to be a good defensive team. And then in between the pipes, I would honestly almost go as far as to say that they improved. Even though they lost Yaroslav Halak, I think the Linus Allmark addition was very, very, very good for Boston. And I say that because last year his numbers in Buffalo We just finished talking about Buffalo and what they were like last year. His numbers in Buffalo, I think he was sporting a 2.6-something goals against average and a save percentage of like 921. Those are Vezina numbers if you're playing in Buffalo. Considering the team that they had in in front of him, those are Vezina numbers. And I think if you bring him in, he is an absolutely electric 1B to play alongside Atuka Rask. And, um... You know, in the end, when I when I look at the two teams next to each other, I think I would I, I actually had Toronto finishing above Boston just because I think that in the regular season, offense gets the job done quicker than a good defensive team does. And we've obviously in this seen that in the playoffs, having a good defensive core and having just a good team defense matters. And we've seen that a million times over. But I think if you're strictly speaking in terms of the regular season, I still like the Maple Leafs over Boston just because of their scoring depth up front. But I do think that if any team is going to beat the Leafs out for that top three spot, it's going to be Boston. So, Peter, your thoughts on our beloved Boston Bruins? Yeah, Alex nailed everything on the head. Um, To me, I I still have some reservations about uh, Linus Olmark. We've seen how, how many times the Maple Leafs have had success against him, even though he was on the Buffalo Sabres. They still had really good success in, you know, getting pucks by him. And the fact that Tuka Rask is going to be gone um, until February, granted, Olmark was the starter for them. Um, I, I, I still have some reservations. It could go very, very well for Boston, but I'm just not fully sold on him as – as Alex at this point, but the, the rest of the roster is still intact. I mean, it should still be a really good competitive team. There's no doubt about that. Um, my big sticking point is losing Jeremy Lozon to the expansion draft. I thought he was going to, he was going to turn into like a really, really tough in your face, really grinded out kind of defenseman that you would hate to go up against similar to that of Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. Um, the fact that they lost him, I think, kind of took a bit of a hit. And you have Derek Forbert, Mike Riley, and Connor Clifton. Um, good depth, but not something that screams out like they've had in the past. But if they are going to go far, I mean, you're obviously looking at that top line, a Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn. Um, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that Nick Foligno doesn't torch them because uh, that's going to be really, really painful, given the fact that he was on the lease and that they got Taylor Hall as well, where, you know, a lot of Leafs fans were complaining that we should have got Taylor Hall over Nick Foligno, and they got both. So, yeah. Yeah, just a very Boston thing to do, to, to, to take, take both of those players, and, and the Leafs end up with neither. But, um, no, I think the Boston Bruins are going to go as far as that uh, that top line goes, and if they, if they can get things done, um, you know, we may see Boston be a top three team in the Atlantic. 
Um, that said, I think there is a lot of a lot of question marks in that lineup as well, defense included. Where's Carlos head at? Um, Charlie McAvoy, um, obviously, can he be the the go to guy on the back end? Uh, Kevin Miller retired, um, so there, there's a lot of question marks there as well. So um, it's going to be interesting, but I, I I do have them pegged as as the fourth spot right now. Um, so we will see where where they end up, but. Um, I'm going to jump down to Florida before we throw it over to our Maple Leaf talk. Uh, the Florida Panthers, what do you see them doing going forward here, Peter, with a lot of their moves coming in the offseason? Before I talk about the Panthers, are we all in agreement that Tampa Bay is going to be number one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't okay, think there's so any think question. So. <laughs> so we could exclude Tampa Bay from this conversation, right? Because – Stanley Cup champs, yeah. Um, honestly, I have them pegged as a second-place team. Uh, I think with Alexander Barkov, really, really underrated player, um, gaining some traction right now, and he's getting the recognition that he deserves. Um, Jonathan Huberto at, on his wing. We saw Sam Bennett take a major step in his play and when he's given the minutes and given the confidence that he can play relatively well with big name players. And I think that move from Calgary to hit, uh, Florida really benefited him still too high of a contract, but that's, it is what it is. Anthony Duclair looked really well. Um, you know, you got Carter Behagi who was on a very, very hot streak before, um, I, I can't remember if he went out with an injury, but he still had 36 points in 43 games. That was really, really great production. You have Owen Tippett coming up. You have the possibility of Anton Lundell uh, fighting for a roster spot. You have, you're going to have a healthy Aaron Ekblad who suffered that very gruesome injury that we all witnessed. And him and Mackenzie Weger, I think are like the, one of the top pairings that are really, really difficult to go up against. So if you're any team in the East, or in any other division, if you're going up against that duo, it's going to be really difficult. But they also have Marcus Nudivara, Radko Gudis, who just hits everything in plain sight. Um, they're extremely difficult, but I think the X factor is going to be Spencer Knight. And I think he's the reason why they're going to be where they are, because Sergei Bobrovsky has not, let, has not lived up to that $70 million contract. Spencer Knight coming in as, you know, a very uh, at a very young age, he's going to be 20 years old. Manny decrease. I think he's going to run away with that number one spot, but there is going to be some pressure on him. Um, it's not every day that you see a goalie that young make the jump four and oh, good numbers. And then, you know, he wants to continue that success. That's the reason they drafted him that high to be that number one in the future. But he is young. He's still going to learn. But I think if there's anyone that could overcome that and learn at a very quick pace, it's going to be Spencer Knight. And I honestly think that he's going to be a very key factor for them. Alex, your X factor for the Florida Panthers and where they might finish in this Atlantic division. Uh, I'll probably agree with Peter because goaltending in the end is what's going to sink or sail your ship. And I think Spencer Knight, like, like obviously, like Peter said, Sergey Bobrovsky has uh, <clears throat> definitely not lived up to that contract uh, as, as at the time of this recording. <laughs> um, but I do think that if we see Spencer Knight come in, he could be the saving grace between the pipes for Florida. And I'll even go a step further and uh, like, not in terms of Spencer Knight, but I'll say, Peter, you said that you think Anton Lundell is going to challenge for a roster spot. I think he's going to borderline walk onto the team. 
I think he is he, – he, we saw what he did in the World Juniors last year for Finland, yep. uh, 25 points in 26 games for HIFK in the, uh, in the league over there. Uh, I, I think this guy, he was originally projected to be a top top three pick, if I recall correctly, in 2020, and he slipped down um, to Florida. Not necessarily a top three pick, but he was in that 10 to 15 range. There was thoughts that he could drop because he didn't score as much, but right. yeah, he's, he's got a quickly, good shot. He's quickly <laughs> turned turn those, turn those claims around. So either way, I, I still think we're going to see Anton Lundell in Florida this this year, and I think regardless of how he does in training camp, I think they're going to give him a look on the team, and if not, then give him a shot in the HL to hone his skills a little bit. Um, I will also, I also just want to make a point. Uh, it's kind of funny how four or sorry, three out of the top four picks in the 2014 draft are all now on Florida in Aaron Eckblad, Sam Reinhardt and Sam Bennett. So when, when is Leon Dreisaitl coming to Florida is the question. <laughs> Complete the trifecta or I mean, I guess not a trifecta. The quad, a, the quad the quartet. The quartet. <laughs> that, well, didn't you know that was their plan all along? That's how they had it uh, figured out. They were just going to wait, buy their time, and get get every top pick in the uh, 2014 draft. Exactly. Just as long as they skip over number eight, I'm fine. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. No, but 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 to be completely honest, like like Peter said, I've got them finishing second as well. Uh, I'm not trying to be the yes man and agree with agree with everyone on every single point, obviously. But uh, I do think that they're going to be dynamic enough this season to. Uh, to uh, overtake the Leafs for for second place in the division, and uh, I, I think they're well on their way to being one of the top teams in the league. I I, I do agree with you guys. I think they're going to be a, an incredible team this year. I think Spencer Knight's really going to drive this team, and I, I really hope he does because I have him on my fantasy team. Um, I I think Anton Lendell. I hope to see him in in the league as well because he's on also on my fantasy team. Um, but no, I, I do think this Florida Panthers team is, is really changed their, their mojo. I think, um, based on, based on, uh, what the fan base could be in Ontario, uh, we'll, we'll mention that in a second. Um, you know, maybe Florida might have the top attendance in, in the Atlantic division, who knows? Um, but I, I'm going to be a little bit different here. I'm going to say they're going to drop to third in the Atlantic. I do think the Leafs are going to overtake them. Um, I'm, I'm going to put a lot of confidence in the Leafs and not just because this is a Leaf podcast or I'm a Leaf fan, but I want to see, I, I do believe that the Leafs have the potential to be a regular season. Uh, um, you know, I, I guess domine, domineer and, and taking what they need to do to, uh, to really drive this one home. So um, Florida, I, I, I am sorry, but you, you're going to finish third in my, in my Atlantic standings. Um, I, I think, you guys kind of hit all the all the points that we need to hit with Florida, and as Peter mentioned, we're going to skip right over Tampa Bay. Screw you guys! You got two, <laughs> two two Stanley Cups. You know that's enough headlines for you for the yeah. for the next couple of years. So we get it. You're good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just eighteen million dollars over the cap. Yeah. Leave some fun for the rest of us, guys. Like, come on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Get, come get on. ridiculous at this point. What happened to the parody in the NHL? Um, Throw this year, please. Throw this year. Yeah. Yeah, they'll throw this year and they'll end up with Shane Wright. <laughs> oh my God! Don't even. <laughs> and they'll be right. They'll, and they'll be right back in the conversation. That's in right. Twenty-two. That's right. And I definitely feel bad for Buffalo if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but our Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's get into the Toronto Maple Leafs because they are again. We talk about question marks and goaltending is a, is is a major question mark for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, what they're going to do up front, where, how they're going to fill the holes that have been left 
from last season. The, the, the defense has really taken a huge stride in becoming, you know, not the major question mark of this franchise. And yet we still are questioning Travis Dermott's ex- existence on that blue line. We're questioning, you know, Morgan Riley's existence on that blue line. Is this a team? And Alex, we'll throw it to you first. Is this a team that, you know, has the potential not only to be a playoff team, but to jump past that first round? And I and I kind of am iffy asking you that question because we all know what you what you did last <laughs> week. But is this a team that could potentially get past that first round? Ask me when they get past the first round. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say, man. You know, and and I I I've, I've I've I sound like a broken record between podcasts and interviews that I've talked in and just articles that I've written. I will never ever make any claims about the Leafs making it past the first round until I actually see them do it. For the sole purpose that last season they had the easiest path possible to. They were literally faced up against a team that came into the playoffs with a record of under 500. And we saw how the Leafs cakewalked their entire division last year and they still fizzled out in the first round. So I am done answering questions on where I think, if I think this is, this is the year where they'll be good enough. I think every year they've been good enough to move past the first round, but their mental game hasn't been. So if you're asking me whether or not their mental game will be good enough to get past the first round this year, I don't know. We'll ask the boys. We'll see how they're feeling in, uh, in, in early May next year. So, but yeah, to be completely honest, skill-wise, I, I do think that they do have the opportunity to get past the first round. It's just I I don't know if they're going to decide they want to do that when the time comes. So I'll leave my take there. Peter, is it a decision for them to be that team that makes it past that first round? Are they Are they worthy of being a top three team in the Atlantic division? Is this a team that we just continue to love? that continues to break our hearts and then we come groveling back. It's, it's like an abusive relationship where we're kind of just running back to them every time we, we end up broken. We're afraid to be alone. That's right. That's yeah, pretty much. Um, all the above. Um, really? Um, when you, when you say that we don't want to be alone, I feel like just going back to like the old, like, you know, mid thousands and listen to emo music right now. So, play some Hawthorne Heights or something but um Alex kind of knows what I get there um I mean fill my wrist and black my eyes yeah exactly (laughs) that's exactly what emo music emo music was back in the day but um I uh, when I was a young young boy I'm sorry I'm done now we're going to karaoke (laughs) yeah um What's next? Good Charlotte, Bowling for Soup. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> um, okay, back to league talk. Um, yeah. I mean, I have them as a third place team in the Atlantic Division. There's no doubt about that. They got. I, I'm expecting Austin Matthews to go off and hit the 50 goal mark this year without any intru- like intrusions or any like hiccups during the season. Bar it, um, uh, you know cutting the pandemic uh, season short because of the pandemic shortened season because of the pandemic or, you know, the wrist surgery that he had to improve on it. I think he's going to come back better than ever. I mean, if he was able to score 41 with a wrist that needed surgery in the off season, despite he was still training, what's he going to do when he's hundred percent healthy? 
I mean, that, 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 that's going to be really, really interesting to see what's going to happen. And yeah, you look at their top four. I mean, Matt, Matthew, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. You expect them to take a big step forward. And to me, two big X factors for the Maple Leafs. One, like you mentioned, the depth. There was a lot of changes. But the fact that, you know, you brought in Nick Ritchie, Michael Bunting, and Andre Kasha, and even David Kampf, um, where they all bring something to the table in what was lost with Zach Hyman. And I'm hoping that with the money that they spread out that they could have had for Hyman, they got with four really great players. Bunting has the speed. He has the tenacious attitude that makes him a total rat on the ice, kind of like Brad Marchand that we've heard in his press conference. He Nick Ritchie brings a more physical element in that, that from presence said we saw Zach Hyman play on the power play. Um, the two-way abilities we like Andre Kasha and David Kampf. So to me, that's going to be the main sticking point on how they're all going to replace Zach Hyman and spread that depth out. But I'm you've got to look to look to Mitch Marner and try and I'm not I'm not trying to hate on Mitch Marner. There is a lot of hate going on with him online and everything like that. And it's really getting to be really annoying. You can argue about the contract all you want. It doesn't change the fact that Mitch Marner is still a 90 point guy who's going to be consistent in that aspect every single year. Yeah. You want to see him score more. You want to see him produce in the playoffs. I mean, who the hell doesn't? I mean, I, w- I was like screaming at my TV in the playoffs telling Mitch to shoot the puck because you know, he, he can't shoot it. He scored 20 goals this year. He can't shoot the puck, but if there's anyone that's want to prove everybody wrong, it's going to be Mitch Marner. And I think he's going to have, obviously he's going to have not necessarily a breakout season, but we're going to see him pop off with Austin Matthews. And if they do get to the playoffs, based on the comments that often Austin Matthews made about them wanting to go and like still win a championship with this team, I'm thinking Mitch Marner is going to do the same thing. I think they're going to take another step forward and be the dynamic duo that, you know, everyone wanted to see them together ever since the days of Mike Babcock, where they're like, oh my God, put Mitch Marner on with Austin Matthews, let's make it happen and everything like that. We got it. You know, they feed off each other. It's just Mitch Marner's got to have that intensity and that he needs to have that mentality. Like you mentioned, Alex, it's going to be all the mental game for him. It's going to be overcoming that hurdle. And if there's anybody that can do that, it is going to be Mitch Marner because we've seen how many time and time or time and time again, where things aren't going his way. And we saw him get benched at one point under Mike Babcock or demoted down and to the minutes. Fourth, yeah, to the fourth line in his, early on in, in his career. And we saw him bounce back. This player can bounce back. I don't know why everyone is already throwing in the towel on a 90 point guy and trying to trade him when you should only be trading him for a legitimate star player in return. Like it, it's, it's really annoying, but if there's anybody that can change the ties and change the narrative, it is going to be Mitch Marner. Love the take, love the take. I'm going to throw it right back to you, Peter, actually, because you did write a piece about the PK Subban uh, mm-hmm. rumors, PK Subban, a possibility to come in, Ilya Mikheyev requesting to go out. Um, not necessarily in the same deal, but could we see either of these moves really take place heading into the 21-22 season? To me, it's more likely that Ilya Mikheyev would happen if a move were to happen. I know that there were reports that, you know, he requested the trade, but then nothing came in, uh, came about with that. And same thing with PK Subban. Um, 
Kyle Dubas did go on um, Bob Accountant's podcast saying that, you know, there is no chance about them getting PK, even though there was a report saying that they had Luke Gorham interest. But I'm going to take Kyle Dubas's word. Uh, when that uh, news broke about a couple of days after I posted that article or a day or so after I posted that article. Um, bringing in PK is really interesting because he does have that offensive flair. He has the speed and he has the puck mobility that, you know, every team would love. Then again, the Maple Leafs had a big amount of that in the past and it kind of ended up being their downfall. They also have so much depth and they were better defensively last season than any other year that I've seen them play. They have Brody, Muzzin. Hall looked pretty good at times, inconsistent, but when he was on his game, he was on his game. And you have Rasmus Sandin coming up. The fact that you have Subban on the right-hand side is going to demote somebody like Timothy Lilligren, who I think deserves to have a chance on this roster, given his steps and his development that he's made throughout his four years. And everyone's going to say he's been in the minor for four years. He's only 21, 22. I mean, this is a guy that came over when he was 18 or drafted at 17 and played in, in the pro level at 18 years old. So to write him off as a bust is just really... Again, same thing like the Mitch Marner talk. It really is annoying to hear that. But I it, bringing in PK, it, I don't want to mess the success that we've already had, even though he would have a really great point shot and offensive awareness that, you know, that got them and the National Predators to the Stanley Cup final where he was a key factor for them. I just don't see it happening. If it does happen, it's probably going to be an offseason signing. Um if, if there is no interest at all with PK in general, then there's no interest in general. Kyle Dubas-Latos said that he doesn't want to eye any other player until the offseason. And if PK isn't even on his radar to sign him, then so be it, because we have a really solid defensive core right now and a lot of players coming up in the pipeline that if we were to sign a PK long-term to maybe four or five years, who knows what Topi Numella could uh, amount to he his development could skyrocket and be in here in three four years time what's going to happen then so it's an up and down wait there's there are factors on both sides which is why i went down the middle for both pros and cons to me i i just don't want to mess with the success we had alex thoughts on the potential that we move mikhaev and the potential that there's any interest in PK Subban as a, as a defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So my, my take on Subban is a lot shorter than my take on Mikheyev. So I'll get that one out of the way. Um, I would entertain a PK Subban trade, but only in the event that Morgan Riley is no longer with the team, because we saw how this defensive team, how this team works defensively. When you've got two offensive defensemen playing high in the lineup, we saw that with Riley and Tyson Berry didn't work out. So you know, for the price that PK, and even if you get him at retained salary, like the price that he would bring in along with the price of whatever you'd be paying Morgan Riley. Um, I mean, I guess if it's this year, it'd be his 5 million on top of his 4 million. I just don't see, it's just, it, it almost seems like trying to, uh, trying to patch up a hole that you don't need to patch up. It's like, if I were to take like a handful of handful of drywall and I'd slam it into a slam it into my wall. Like there's no hole there, but I'm just kind of like rubbing it in on the wall, trying to make it fit. Like that's what, that's how I see the Leafs going after PK Subban if Morgan Riley's still in the picture. So uh, I, I'd entertain it, but only if Riley's not around in terms of Mikheyev, you know, I, 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 I've been seeing a lot of people slandering Ilya Mikheyev and I understand it because I think in any situation, if 
a player on your team or on your favorite team, I should say, requests a trade, your first thing that your, your first thought is, okay, well, get, get out of here. Because if you don't want to be here, why would I want to support you? Right. And let I cannot, I can also understand why fans would have taken that the wrong way because it was coming from a guy like Mikheyev who didn't necessarily produce last year. He wasn't a very good, he wasn't a very good producer offensively. So I understand the negative reaction to it, but I do support Dubas and management's decision to not trade him because I truth be told, think that his season last year or his lack of offensive success had a lot to do with his, um, his wrist injury from the year before when he got his wrist sliced open. I mean, obviously he was probably clear to, he was clear to play and he was able to contribute in other ways, but I do think it probably takes a little more time to get really get that shot back. And, you know, when I, when I look at Ilya Mikheyev, I, I think about the fact that he's in a contract year and he's coming off a bad season. And I think about his relationship with Kyle Dubas and with management in general about how when McKay have suffered that injury against New Jersey, I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, he is a, he's an international player coming over to a brand new country that he's never been to before. He's, he's just learning the language. He's, he's 9,000 kilometers away from his family. And he'd probably be pretty scared in that situation, having lost all that blood, having to spend the night in the hospital, and he doesn't speak the language as well as uh, people around him. Um, and Kyle Dubas saw that, and he goes after him, and or sorry, he goes out to support him, and he goes out and he buys him some clothes and even some other personal items for him to keep with him. And he sat down and watched hockey, or sorry, watched soccer in the hospital with Ilya Mikheyev. And to me, that says a lot about how much Dubas cares about Ilya Mikheyev. And, you know, even when you look at his bad offensive production last year, he was still the fastest player on the team, beat Connor McDavid in a foot race. He was one of their better defensive forwards. He was really, really good on the penalty kill. He was just frustrating because he couldn't convert on the chances that he did get. So truth be told, with Zach Hyman no longer in the picture, and a lot of question marks on that left side offensively between Michael Bunting, where's he going to play? Nick Ritchie, where's he going to play? Um, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a bounce back season for McKayev this year. And I don't know if he's going to get regular top six minutes or if they're going to try and uh, formulate another zip line, kind of like the one they had with, uh, with Hyman and Engvall on the third line. Um, but I do think that McKayev is going to make the most of his opportunity this year. And if he flops, then at that point, yeah, maybe entertain a trade request and maybe try and find him a better team where he can where he can kind of have little little less pressure and a little more ice time to work with. But overall, I'm glad that the Leafs aren't trading Mikheyev because I do think he will bounce back this year, and um, I, I I do think he's got more to give. I'm glad you brought up that last point because I think he the the chances were there for him this season. It wasn't like he wasn't getting the opportunities. It was just the conversion rate and that does not last over a two season period. That is a one season confidence kind of, you know, you get a, you get a punch in the gut. That's, that's your, that's your season. You're having a shitty season. I think he does have a bounce back. And I think, like you said, there is a good relationship there. Um, obviously Dan Milstein being the, the representative for, um, for Mikheyev there, there's a relationship there between Milstein and the, the organization as well. So I think for in, in saying that, you know, I think that the request itself was blown way out of proportion in in the way that it was reported. And it's more like there was a conversation that was had and he he made made it known that he was interested in getting the playing time and and, and 
Toronto obviously wants to keep him around and, and Kyle Dubas obviously wants to keep him around. So I, I, I too think that we're going to see a bounce back year from McKayev. And I think that, you know, you won't see him go anywhere. I think he's going to have a, a solid year and I think he's going to sign, sign back with the Toronto Maple Leafs at, at the end of the year. But before we kind of shut this thing down for the evening, um, any, I, I do want to mention that, you know, there is a report that uh, the Maple Leafs will only be allowed a thousand fans in, in uh, Scotiabank arena when the season does kick off, obviously double vaccinated will be a requirement. Um, we can touch on that as well. I want to quickly say any notes from the development camp that, uh, you know, you guys feel like you need to, to get across before we, we uh, sign off for the, for the evening, Alex, I'll throw it over to you first. I am going to take that throw and I'm going to throw it over to Peter because I think he's got some more uh, spicy takes than I do <laughs> on development camp. Um, I know there's a couple guys you were looking at, Peter, like James Hardy was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, hard to watch the games when it's not being live streamed. But, um, you know, seeing the updates and seeing all the comments, especially uh, Stephen Ellis, um, he had a good look mm-hmm. at what was going on. He was very – he liked what he saw in James Hardy's game during the practices and everything like that. So I was very high on him uh, in 2020, and I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get drafted and he got passed over a second time. And I think maybe the summer was because of no OHL season, the pandemic, and everything like that. But this is a guy who has an insane work ethic, a really great shot. Maybe the skating isn't all there, but he's got the ability to power through and try to make an impact every single time he's out there. But watching clips of the scrimmage, I mean, Nick Robertson and Mikhail Abramov just looked absolutely dominant out there. Like, it was absolutely insane. Um with the with the passing plays and I think even Nick Robertson on a second goal was at a really bad angle and he just snipes it top corner and I was blown away by that shot because it was really really great um Pavel Gogolev looked really good Alex Steves is someone that also I took note of um yeah a couple of other players um Jacob Gavin and there's another defenseman um I can't quite remember the name but he had hit, he was a uh, Jacob Gavin's partner and he made a really nice move to go in and score like through two or three different players and just absolutely undress them with the moves that he made. And I was really surprised at who I'm just trying to search up who he is because I took note of him and I know Will Scouch, the head of scouting is a big fan of this guy as well. I'm just trying to, find the list right here um you might want to circle back to me because i'm having a hard time finding that list oh never mind here we go um if i can find it lucas gustafson lucas gustafson is the player that i also really enjoyed watching i'm sorry that took so long but uh yeah uh, they got some really great undrafted talent i mean Gogolev during um, the 2020-21 season, but having James Hardy, even Brian Del Monte, uh, Lucas Gustafson, and um, Jacob Gavin are some really interesting names that really stood out for me and I think he p- could possibly earn a contract at some point. I don't know if that's the case, but they looked really, really great. Yeah, I still think Theo Rochette's a guy to watch. Um, obviously, yeah. Uh, 
he what he's been able to do. James Hardy's a guy who's been passed over, as you mentioned, twice uh, over the past two years in, in terms of the draft. And, um, you know, he's a guy, If just give him a follow on Twitter. He's a guy that, you know, it's all about perseverance for this kid. And, and it's do or die time for him now. And he's, he's really putting the uh, the pedal to the metal. And I, I agree with you. I think he's a guy that could definitely earn a contract, even if it's just an AHL one-way contract. Um, you know, to possibly get within the organization and have an opportunity to to grow and develop, that that would be huge for him. Um, a guy I asked Stephen Ellis about was uh, Brett Budgel. He's a guy I mm-hmm. kind of followed uh, from my days doing play by play for the for Rogers uh, here in London for the Junior Knights. He came from uh, Newfoundland and played for the London Junior Knights, and I I, I loved his play because he's like a, a blue collar type of player where he played a Jonathan Taves type of game. Um, obviously not having a, a standout performance yet at the uh, development camp, but a guy that uh, definitely keep your eye on because I think he could land somewhere at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, that that's what this development camp's all about. And um, in terms of the thousand fans at, at Leaf games, um, I, you know, I, I'm double vaccinated. I know there's, there's people that uh, are close while well, not close to me, but people that I know that are kind of, you know, leaning towards the other side of that. And, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea of just having a thousand fans in there. I know we're trying to confine it, but, uh, you know, I think this is, this is an opportunity to, to really get kind of back some normalcy. And I think we need to head in that direction if, if we want to, you know, create sanity within our society again. So um, with that said, boys, I think, you know, we've been, we've held you guys long enough. I'll throw it to Alex real quick. Sorry, I just have one last, one last note that I want to make on development camp before we wrap this up. Uh, One guy I am very much looking forward to seeing how he does throughout this season is Eric Colgren. Mm -hmm. He is a Mm -hmm. very, very intriguing goaltender. And I just want to pull up a quote that he, uh, from Terry Koshin here of what he said, he's uh, on why he signed the lease. He says, I know it's probably the best place to play hockey in the world. Why does he feel that way? And he says, the interest here is huge. That's something I'm really looking forward to experience experience. Um, Eric, first and foremost, just friendly warning that interest is not always good interest. So keep that that in mind if you're listening. Um, But on a serious note, I really, really like what he did in the SHL playoffs last year with Vax Joe. And I think the fact that he was a teammate with Pontus Holmberg, who I think also is a very sneaky prospect in the system. um, I think Colgren really has an opportunity this year to steal some Marley starts away from Joseph Wall and maybe even Michael Hutchinson if if he clears waivers and ends up playing in the AHL. I really like what he did in the SHL last year, and he's just another one of those guys. I mean, when you're anytime you sign an international goalie, it's like it's like blindfolding yourself and throwing a dart at the dartboard. And sometimes you'll hit, and sometimes you'll sign Jonas Gustafsson, for example. So, you know, I I, I really really like what I see from Colgren so far. I'm not going to get too too high on him before we get to see what he play how he plays in the, uh, North America and how he adjusts to that different style of game. But uh, I do think that was a very sneaky signing this offseason. He's one guy I'm really going to be keeping tabs on as we as we move towards the start of the season. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up too. Is um, you know I, I did see that quote and and I love that quote because yeah the 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 attention is not always great here in Toronto, but 
the fact that you're interested in playing in a market that has that sort of attention, you know, damn well, what you're getting into, you know, the Mecca that, that surrounds this game and surrounds the Maple Leafs here in Toronto. The fact that you're interested in in being a part of that goes a long way in terms of what confidence you play with as a goaltender. We all know goaltenders are, are a different breed. They're not, they're not your regular player. They have, they have a different, they have a mind of their own, but um, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought him up because I think he's, we, we talk about the development of, of leaf goaltenders within the system and it not being, you know, the best in historically, I guess. Pretty generous. Yeah. Pretty generous way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the, the lack thereof when it comes to the development. So he's definitely a guy that, you know, we could keep an eye on and maybe see at some point down the road. Um, but with that said, uh, just real quick here, guys, anything that, uh, you kind of want our listeners to know about, uh, as we move into the next week before we, uh, record again. Um, in terms of my personal work, I'm going to be continuing my series of, uh, uh, breaking down each of the Leafs Atlantic division opponents this year. I kicked it off with Boston last week. I think that I'm going in alphabetical order. So next piece will be Buffalo. So, Sorry, we love Sabres you, Buffalo. Fans. We love you, you, Buffalo. You, Sabres <laughs> fans, you may want to look away. I don't know why you'd be reading my articles in the first place if you're a Sabres <laughs> fan, but um, yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing that series. We're also going to be wrapping up our uh, historic road to the draft history pieces, and we, we kind of got that series going as, the, as we were kind of moving towards the draft. And for those that don't know, we've basically been taking a look at each pick in the first round and who went in that slot over the past decade. And then we kind of do like an all-time recap of every single player to go say 13th overall. We did every single player since there were 13th overall picks all the way up until now. And I've got the last two pieces. I'm going to be releasing the uh, second history of the second overall pick in the history of the first overall pick where you can find your Connor McDavid's, your Mario Lemieux's and your Alexander Diggs. So that'll be a fun piece. I'm looking forward to getting out and that's all I really have to plug on the horizon. Peter, anything for you, uh, for our listeners. Um, if you love the NHL draft, well, I got my top 32 preseason rankings coming out. I'm hoping to get that out early on in the week. Um, obviously everyone's focusing on Shane, right? But there are a lot of really great players in that top 15, some sneaky names outside or outside of that range and even outside the top 30 as well. So a lot of promise with this draft and a lot of really great players and, um, shout out to friend of the show, Gavin Bryant, who is a draft eligible prospect in this year's draft. So wishing him nothing but the best in his draft year and looked good at the, uh, PVHH Invitational, so hopefully he, that uh, something that he could build off of and make a name for himself. Really hoping for the best for him. Yeah, making some noise at Owen Sound Attacks uh, camp this year. Uh, his first year that he'll get to get a chance to play in the OHL level has an assist in one game and five penalty minutes. So not afraid to throw the mitts as well, which we always Ooh. love to, love to have here on the on the podcast. But um, yeah, I, I'm right there with Peter. I'm going to be releasing my thirty my top thirty two very early thirty two ranking for the 2022 uh, NHL draft. I also am working on. Um, my series of forgotten Maple Leafs. So any names that come to mind, I, I'm thinking more like Mike Gardner, Kirk Muller, uh, Robert Shvela, Dimitri Kristich, guys that played short stints with 
our Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, though, though, those are just, you know, some of the names that I'll be looking back on. Um, Sergey Berzin is always a good one as well. I don't think he ever wore a helmet or if he did, it only lasted for the first three seconds of his shift. But um, <laughs> anyways, that said, we finished another episode this week, boys, and and uh, really happy to have you guys on as always. Uh, I want to thank you all again for joining us for episode 52 of the podcast. We couldn't do it without you. Um, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow Alex Hobson at Hobson a 16 on Twitter. You I, can, like, I like how you say, or as if you have a choice, <laughs> you have a choice. Yeah. You can only you follow one of us. So choose wisely. You definitely have a choice. Alex has some great takes. Um, Peter always has some great coverage of uh, prospects and uh, well, me, I just like to get into some Twitter battles every once in a while. I also <laughs> poisoned. I also should know that Timu Solani did like my tweet this week. So I, I'm living off of that for the next week anyways, until the next one, <laughs> until the next one. Timu, if you're I, listening, I come on the it. podcast. That's right. That's right. I, I'll be reaching out soon. Um, you could also follow the podcast on Twitter at sticks in the six pod S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. We have an Instagram. You can head over there and, and tune into some of our interviews, some of our episodes, head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episodes and be sure to subscribe rate and review. So we can continue to bring you some great content, hit up our YouTube, make your, make sure you subscribe there as well. And check out our merchandise as we hope to bring you more as the season heads forward. Until next week, boys, I can't wait to get back to watching some Toronto Maple Leaf hockey.